today we're going to talk about the importance of movement in the development of vision. For many of you, you're aware of the fact that vision is a learned and a developed skill and that it is with time and experience that a child learns to use his or her vision better. It is with experience that as a child moves his or her eyes, the child develops greater accuracy and greater control. And this is something that's very important as a child later learns to read and has to move the eyes from one word to another. It's also very similar that a child's ability to perceive how close or how far an object, depth perception, is something that is also learned and developed. So today we're going to talk about the importance of movement in the development of vision. And that is something that often is a bit unique, and it is something that we have to really think about, but it is a very, very important skill. And the reason that we talk about this is because this is one of the first parts that we need to inform parents about as it relates to developing their child's vision. As a parent, you should involve movement and you should move your child, even a newborn child, move the child so that the child will develop some of these very, very important visual skills. Now, the main thing that we want to emphasize first is fixation. And fixation is a term that means that the child or the adult is able to keep his or her eyes steady. Now, many of you have been on a roller coaster, or maybe you've been riding in a car, or maybe you even watched a, a video that a family member has made with their new VCR camera. And if that person who is holding that VCR camera moves the camera too much, or the person that is driving your car is really a very jerky driver, or that that roller coaster is very fast, it will be something that causes many people to feel nauseous and they'll feel motion sickness. And the reason for this is that these particular types of movements will affect the image that is seen on the eye. So for a newborn baby, for example, if you are carrying your baby and the baby is being swung back and forth very quickly in the little bassinet, this is something that could cause a child to become very, very dizzy. And that dizziness is something that can make the child sick. Or in some cases, the child might just simply close his or her eyes so that they do not have to see that type of motion. So we want to perform different types of activities in which the child is gently swung from left to right, from right to left, Move your child up and down and closer and further. These particular types of movements will help your child to develop a reflexive fixation. So let's say that you have a newborn baby and you're just admiring your baby so much that your baby is lying down. Well, you could very easily move your head from left to the right and back to the left 
and back to the right, and you'll notice that your child will very often fixate on your face. Little babies will make eye contact, and as they're making eye contact and learning to follow and to fixate to wherever your face is, this is a very good way that the child is developing the skill of fixation. You then want to change the direction from which you're moving as a child is lying down there. You could then move your head up and below so the child learns to move the eyes up and down. But in many cases, the child will slightly move the head up and down. And all of that is fine if the child is moving the head in those directions to keep his or her eyes on you. The important thing here is that you move so that the child has to either move his or her head or the eyes or both to keep that type of fixation on you. And children, they love this. If you could be positioned at a distance of about 18 inches away, that is really an ideal distance that you could fixate and make eye contact. You also then could change things as a child becomes better at doing that. You could change things so that the child keeps fixation while the child is actually moving. In this situation, you can carry, pick up your child, and hold the child at arm's length so that your child is making eye contact with you. And at that position, you're going to move your arms while you're holding your baby from left to right. Now, this is a little different. The reason that this is different is, first of all, when you have positioned your child in an upright manner, that is going to stimulate what is called the semicircular canals in the inner ear. In other words, depending on the position of the child, it's going to stimulate the inner ear. And the inner ear will send electrical signals to the muscles of the eyes to help the eyes to orient in the right position. So when we position the child in the upright manner, we are then stimulating a different pathway within the hearing-slash-visual system. And then, as we move the child from left to right, left to right, left to right, There are these little fibers, little hairs in the inner ear, and as they are moved, as you move the child, those little hairs are stimulated, and that will stimulate the eye muscles to move in a reflexive manner. So in other words, just that task of holding the baby upright, it innervates the inner ear, and as you then move the child from left to right, it's going to stimulate particular patterns, and these patterns of nerve conductivity are going to stimulate certain eye muscles. Now, when you move the child from right to left, it will stimulate a different pattern, and the child is going to then try to reposition the eyes to maintain fixation on you. You could then do the same thing while you're moving the child up 
and down. And you could also do it diagonally. So as we do these particular types of movements of the child, most of the time the children really enjoy this too. They get a little bit of a stimulation, a thrill of that kind of motion. And this is very, very important so that a child will be able to maintain eye contact. The child will be able to keep steady fixation. Now, there are certain situations in which it may be more difficult to perform these kinds of activities and tasks, but it is still equally important to do so. And this is when a child does not have steady fixation. Children who are born with different types of eye conditions, it may be that the child is born with a congenital cataract or the child has a retinal condition, or that the child has damage to the optic nerve. The child might have nystagmus, and nystagmus is when the eyes shake uncontrollably from side to side. Now, this type of side-to-side eye movement, it is something that affects the way that a child sees. In other words, when the eyes are shaken very rapidly from side to side, the child does not necessarily like that. The child will do what he or she can do to try to reduce the nystagmus. And one of the first things that a child might find is that the child could reduce the nystagmus by turning his or her head. And they might turn their head to the extreme left, or the extreme right, or it might be up or down. And they could find a position where their eyes don't shake as much. And so these are the kids who often might have an interesting head position, and we want to go ahead and do these same types of exercises, and these exercises will be very important because they can help the child to gain better control of that type of steady fixation. As we do these exercises more and more, we have also found that we could alter the child's head position. So let's say, for example, there's a baby who has this type of nystagmus, and this child prefers to turn her head towards her right shoulder and moves the eyes towards the left. And when the child looks at you, You know, it's a very cute way that the child looks at you with that head turn. Now, as we do these exercises, we often will find that pretty soon the child doesn't have to turn the head as far to the right to control the nystagmus. And before long, we find that the child's head might be fairly straight and the child could keep steady fixation. And this type of head posture, it is very, very important because of the fact that when the child could keep the head straighter, the child is able to use both eyes together better. When a child just turns the head towards the extreme right, usually they're just using the left eye. Or if they turn their head to their extreme left, they're then usually only using their right eye. So you might then say, well, 
what's so important about the child using both eyes together? Well, when we use both eyes together, this allows the child to do two things. Number one, if the child is using both eyes, that means each eye receives stimulation and the visual regions of the brain that develop clarity of sight, it develops for each eye. So that is very important because if a child always only uses one eye and turns the head so he's not using the other eye, the eye that is not being used will not develop the normal or the maximal clarity of sight. And this is something that is called amblyopia. And amblyopia is something that we really want to treat very early on. And for some of these kids with amblyopia, we will perform patching, where we will patch the stronger eye to force them to use the weaker eye to stimulate vision. The second reason that it's very important that a child will use both eyes at the same time is that when we use both eyes together simultaneously, it provides us with the ability to see 3D depth perception, also known as stereoscopic depth perception. Now, with stereoscopic depth perception, this is the highest level of depth perception that a person may have. And so this would help the child who is learning to walk because the child could perceive how close or how far the corner of that door is. The child with stereoscopic depth perception will have much better eye-hand coordination as that child goes to reach for the cup to drink some water. The stereoscopic depth perception is also really important if that child's going to play certain types of sports or later drive a car. So it's very important that we develop the depth perception during the first few years of life. Preferably by the first two years of life, we want to make certain the child is using both eyes together. Okay, so overall, the first thing that we talked about is developing the child's ability to keep the eyes fixated on the target of interest. And we begin this also by having the child look at mom or dad, and later we could then move by using visually stimulating pictures. Now, for young infants, we know that most young infants are able to see black and white much better than colored patterns. And this is why that early in life, we could use these high-contrast patterns. There used to be a visual stimulation booklet. It had 8.5 by 11 uh, pieces of paper with black and white high-contrast patterns. And this is something that you could hold at the distance of 18 inches as the child is lying down, and you can move that booklet so the child also learns how to fixate on things other than a person's face. But we like to begin first by using your face because it is so helpful 
if a child is able to make eye contact. It means so much for a person to make eye contact with another because it really engages the other person and it lets others know that you are paying attention to them. You feel loved and appreciated. And uh, just kind of a side note, as I have lost vision throughout the years, and it's hard for me to believe that I've been blind now for uh, almost eight years where I've been totally blind. And it was very interesting because one time my wife was talking to me and she said, are you listening to me? We were having lunch and she kind of said it like, are you listening to me? You know that attitude, right? Are you listening to me? I said, yes, yes, I, I'm listening. I'm paying attention. And she says, oh, well, you were just staring straight ahead and I wasn't certain if you were daydreaming or listening to me. And it made me realize that even though I'm a person who understands the importance of making eye contact, when you don't have normal vision or you don't have any vision, sometimes that is not a reflexive thing to do any longer. In other words, I started to lose the the automaticity of making eye contact because of my blindness. And it reminded me, Boy, when anybody's talked to me, I really have to turn my head and my eyes and, and do my best to make eye contact with them because they may often perceive that I'm not paying attention. And this is going to be very important for kids as they're making friends with others that they also make that eye contact. Now, the next reason that is very important that we have movement is so that the child learns to integrate and use different regions of the brain at the same time. And this is going to be what many people would just call eye-hand coordination. So in other words, when we're thinking about the very young child, this is a child who's only a few days old, a few weeks old. These are children that are not trying to sit up and crawl and walk, but we could begin to develop that child's sense of eye-hand coordination. And this is where we use some of these different types of toys and different types of pictures. And what we can do is ask the child to look at that. When we move these toys and we shake them, it could be a rattler. It could be a black and white drum that we spin. We could have you push the child's elbow towards that toy so that the child will touch it. And as the child is moving the eyes towards that object, the child is eventually going to feel it. And this is how the eye-hand coordination begins to develop. As a child learns that this object has a particular feeling to it, it has a particular texture to it, it has a particular temperature to it, it arouses the brain, and the child then starts to realize this is very, very interesting. I want to know what that feels like also. I want to know what mom's face feels like. What is that hairy stuff coming off of dad's face? That's called a beard. I want to feel that. Let me feel my bottle. 
why is my bottle warm with its warm milk? And why is this other bottle cold? As we're doing these activities where you push the child's elbow towards the object to reach, that is how you could begin to promote the development of eye-hand coordination. And the region of the brain that is involved in the movement of the body parts, this is called the parietal lobe of the brain. And we are going to stimulate the opposite parietal lobe when the child is moving the hands and the arms towards that object. In other words, if the child is reaching with her right hand to touch that bottle, we're stimulating the left parietal lobe of the brain. If we then take our turn and we push the child's left hand to reach for a toy or a bottle, we're now stimulating the right parietal lobe of the brain. So as you're working with a baby, we could take turns where you're going to push the right elbow to reach, and then you're going to push the left elbow and reach. So we alternately stimulate the left and the right parietal lobe. And then later, we then hope that we can encourage a child reaching with both hands simultaneously. So this is something that is very, very important in the development of the eye-hand coordination. We could then do the same thing if the child is going to use his or her feet. There's nothing wrong with a child reaching to feel for that toy. As a child is lying on her back, we could allow the child to feel that toy with his or her feet. And we do it again with the right leg and the left leg and then with both together. Now, these kinds of activities are really very important because they are stimulating different regions of the parietal lobe of the brain. And when the child is using the vision to guide the hands or the feet towards that toy or that object, we are then using the occipital lobe of the brain. So here we're using the visual center of the brain and the motor center of the brain, the occipital over the brain and the parietal over the brain. And these are the very, very important visual centers that we use when we look and interact with almost all of these particular types of topics. Now, the next step with that, it would make sense that we could encourage the child to do this kind of an activity while the child is going to look at also pictures. Maybe we have pictures or you have different books that you have purchased and they're picture books, but they have some different types of tactile graphics. Or you might have seen some of these books where people have taped yarn around the outer edge of a particular shape or it might be on the perimeter of a home. It doesn't necessarily matter what the picture is but if the child is visually stimulated at looking at it, it then helps the child to know how to look at pictures as well as real objects. Now, as a child gets to be a bit older, the next phase is that we feel that the child is going to be sitting independently. And we want to get to a point where 
the child who wants to sit independently, we give the child the opportunity to try to maintain his or her balance as they sit. And as many of you know, this is going to involve a lot of work. Sometimes their body is leaning and rocking back and forth from side to side. Other times they might have problems keeping their head steady and their head is flopping back and forth. I remember my son, he a lot of times would have difficulties with just keeping his head straight up and he would just sort of let it rest towards one shoulder because it was less work. But after encouraging him to do these exercises, he was able to maintain that body posture. When a child could keep his or her body and head straight, that's a major accomplishment because it enables the child to have that type of steady fixation. And then we begin to move these toys and we begin to move these books and pictures in different fields of gaze. And you will then develop the child's ability to follow with the eyes. That type of eye movement where the child is able to follow your face or follow the picture or follow the toy is called a pursuit eye movement. A pursuit eye movement. And this is a type of eye movement that is one of the first eye movements that will be developed. As the child gets older, you will then notice the child will be able to shift the eyes from one target to another. In other words, a child could shift the eye rather than having to follow a moving object. Your child could be sitting upright and move the eyes to see what you're doing and then move the eyes back to look at the TV or the dog. When a child is shifting the eyes from you to another object, that is a much more higher level eye movement called the saccade. And the saccade is the type of eye movement that is controlled by the frontal lobe of the brain. So by developing that type of eye movement, we're developing the frontal lobe of the brain, which is very, very important for problem solving and higher level thinking. Problem solving and higher level thinking, and it's also very, very important when, when we're doing reading. So in other words, when the child is beginning to sit, we could begin to do exercises and games where you're moving and you're moving toys and books and other things as a child is trying to maintain balance by sitting. Now the next phase of it would be to naturally incorporate the use of vision as a child is learning to crawl. As a child gets on all fours, the child has a pretty firm balance of where he or she is in space. And that particular type of posture is very, very good that the child is able to get into the crawling position. But you may notice that many children who have vision impairment, they may be content to staying in that crawling position. In other words, they're happy doing that. They're proud of themselves, but they may not necessarily begin taking steps for crawling. And one of the reasons for this is that 
the child who has low vision, they do not necessarily know that there's all of these regions of space around them. They might be in the crawling position, and they look straight down at the floor, and they see that the carpet or the wood is there, and they're happy with that. They might lean forward and backwards and wiggle their butt around a little bit, and they're, they're happy. That's fun to do. But they may need encouragement to begin crawling, and we could do that by putting these high-contrast toys on the floor in front of them. So they slowly begin to reach for it to touch it. And then they reach with their other hand to touch it with that hand. And they like the texture. Or maybe you're going to put different crinkly paper, that plastic wrapping paper that makes that really cool crinkly sound. And you could let the child touch that and begin to take steps crawling towards that. But it's very, very helpful to now allow the child to begin moving in the crawling position. A couple of reasons why that's so important is, number one, we want the child to use his or her vision while he or she is crawling. We don't want the child just to crawl and run into a wall and begin to cry because the child will then associate pain with crawling. But if we can create an environment that is visually stimulating where the child is going to crawl towards these toys or objects that you put on the floor, that is good. You could also do some very creative decorating so that on the lower regions of the wall, you could put high-contrast borders. You could use different types of wrapping paper and just tape it along the wall so the child could see what to follow. And the second main important reason for crawling is that when a child crawls, they begin to then develop the cross-pattern crawl. And that is where they're reaching forward with their left hand and their right leg at the same time. What that means is that the left and the right parietal lobes of the brain are being stimulated at the same time. So here, the child is using the left brain and the right brain and the visual cortex all at the same time. And this is going to be very, very important because now, as the child is crawling, we're stimulating both sides of the brain, we're stimulating the ability to use both sides of the body, we're stimulating the use of the right and left ears for balance. And we're now going to develop depth perception. As a child is crawling throughout the house, he or she will begin to learn how far something is. Or things are getting bigger. Why is it that as I'm walking closer, all of the things that I see are getting bigger as I get closer to it? And when I go farther away from it, things look smaller. They develop that relationship of distance and size. So this is a very, very important component with their visual development. And then the next phase will be when the child is able to stand and begins to walk, we could continue to use the use of vision 
the child continues to develop all of these types of visual skills. When a child is at an age where the child is able to stand, we could do different kinds of activities. Maybe you're going to get some very colorful balloons, or maybe you start with one balloon, and you inflate it, and then you might go ahead and play tap with the child, where you tap the balloon in the air, and the child will look at it, move up, follow it moving down, and the child's going to tap it back up in the air where the child is using his or her depth perception, his or her eye-hand coordination. And he's going to have to move his body and his feet to be able to get to where that balloon is as you guys go back and forth and play volleyball. You could also do another type of game. Maybe you're going to get a plastic ball that you could find at the 99-cent store. And what I would do is I would actually pop those balls, those inflatable balls, and then I would put a pretty thick string into the ball and tie that to the ceiling. Or you could use the patio porch. So the ball is just hanging kind of about the child's eye level. And then what I'll let the child do is get near the ball and I'll show the child how to push it with both hands so it goes further away and then to try to catch it. Push it further away and when it comes back, try to catch it. As the child gets better with these kinds of things, we can modify the game. We might use a plastic softball and we could use a plastic baseball bat and put the ball there pretty much at chest level and then teach the child how to hit the ball. And so this develops the eye-hand coordination and the depth perception. So all in all, the importance of these kinds of activities for the young child is very, very important in developing the ability of the brain to be used simultaneously as the body is moving and as a person is using the eyes. When my office, when the doctors and I, when we examine a lot of kids who are much older, these are kids who are teenagers, and they say that they would love to learn to be able to get better at playing sports. Many times what we find is that the reason that they're not good in sports is because they do not have this ability to use their vision and the other regions of the brain together simultaneously. If they're just sitting, they could use their vision very well to work on the computer and to read. But if their body is moving, or if they have to move their body to react to what has been seen, they're two disjointed steps, and it's too difficult. And if these are kids who have adequate vision to get a driver's license, these kids are terrible drivers. They do not have that normal visual reaction to react to a car that's coming in their lane or a pedestrian. And so for these kids, we will do all of these exercises with them as adults, and it improves their vision. As a matter of fact, 
1984 and 88, and when I was in practice during those years, I had the real significant pleasure of working with the United States Olympic athletes. Now, these are top-level athletes who have amazing vision and who have amazing physical skills, but they wanted they wanted to improve their visual body reaction time. And we would put them through specific exercises at very high levels to force them to use these visual and motor reflexes. And it was something really, really amazing to see how they were able to improve. When I first started to work with this group, I was actually an intern for a doctor. And I thought, why are we even going to work with these athletes? They, they don't have a visual problem. That was my feeling. And as I examined them, I realized these people have superior vision. But it got to the point where as we began working with them and we invented new testing techniques to be able to test how their vision works while they're in motion, we actually were able to find that under these very high-pressured situations of moving, some of them had very poor visual skills when they were moving. There was one volleyball player on the United States Olympic volleyball team. I remember when he was in the air jumping to hit the volleyball over the net, when he was in the air, we were able to find that his depth perception was very poor. He was only using one eye. And so we did all of these exercises to teach him how to use both eyes. One, he was in the air. And it improved tremendously. And uh, he ended up being truly the star of that team. So I want you to know that even when we have children who do have vision problems, we could work on developing their vision as early as birth and the development of these types of visual skills along with movement are skills that will benefit them for life. So at this time, I'm going to open it up to any questions or even comments because I know that many of you have a work with kids. So if there's any other things you'd like to share, please feel free to do so. And so let's press star six and open it up to your questions. If uh, you have a question or a comment, just go ahead and announce your first name, and then we'll get to you. Lisa, I have a comment. Well, I was just going to say that um, my sighted daughter that came home from India was mostly laying in a crib the first two years of her life. And what we've oh. learned, yeah, at nine years old is that her visual perception is really poor. And so on a lot of psychoeducational tests, she scored in the lower bottom on everything. And what we've learned is that she didn't have that developed very well early on, and she either has a delay um, or just um, hasn't developed uh, as yet those visual perception skills. So it's really a relief to hear you say that adults can improve upon that because you hear about the plasticity of the human brain, but then you worry because you're thinking, well, if she's already 9 going on 10, is it too late? So it's great to hear that it's not too late. So um, we were taken to her to an educational therapist, which I didn't even know those existed until recently. Is there a better place 
maybe to take her to to help it with visual perception? Well, you know, that's a good question. And many educational therapists, they do know of many games to play that develop visual perception. There's also occupational therapists who know how to do it. And the real experts in visual perception are optometrists. But I'll tell you things that you could do on your own right now to develop visual perception. When you think of any type of game or any activity that you don't necessarily have to use words or language to play the game, those are things that are very good. So things as as basic as playing checkers or later introducing how to play chess are very good. If you have her doing activities where she's going to copy drawings or even just things such as coloring are going to involve stimulating for visual perception. Uh, There's video games. I know for many parents they feel video games could be very poor, but there are video games that involve creating things. One of the very, very popular games right now is called Minecraft, and you have to assemble parts to create, you know, these different objects and things. But that is one that is very, very effective. I also recommend that if in your area they have a Lakeshore store, a Lakeshore supplies, they have catalogs and online, but they have many different types of puzzles that you could buy. And these puzzles are things that you could do with your daughter. Uh, I like to use things such as the Tangram blocks and T-A-N-G-R-A-M. And they have workbooks that go along with it that are very good. There's also other blocks that are called pattern blocks. Those are very, very good. Uh, Other things that you could do are, are just mazes. Let her do things with mazes or build jigsaw puzzles. Those are all really great things to do. And if you go to any arts and crafts shop, maybe maybe she wants to make dolls. Later she might get involved in making dresses, you know, those paper doll dresses. Uh, any of those kinds of activities are really good. Woodworking, if they start to do things like that at school, Lego blocks, those are very, very good too. All right. Well, great. Thanks for that. It's, it's interesting. She tends to want to crawl uh, on her all fours constantly, <laughs> like pretend she's a cheetah or whatever. And oh, I'm like, wow, this hasn't this hasn't stopped. I, I think it seems like developmentally she needs it, so I don't want to stop her from doing it. Although she's getting yeah. a bit older now, but you think I should keep encouraging that? I would let her still do that because okay. uh, during the first years of life. She didn't get as much stimulation and exposure because for whatever reason, she wanted just to lie in the crib. Mm-hmm. And so letting her crawl and and do those types of things, gymnastics would be very good. Okay? Great. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay. Does anybody else have any comments or questions? Yes. Um, this is Meredith. I have a question. Yeah, hi, Meredith. Thank you. Hi. Um, so when you're talking about when they're real young, babies developing, and um, to hold them upright and move them left to right, can you yeah. 
explain that a little bit better? Am I doing a swinging motion? I mean, are we just walking around or am I turning her head? No, it could be that, um, let's say that the child, your your baby is lying in the bed. Let's say this is a, a baby that's just a month old or a few weeks old. Uh, when a child is lying in the crib, pick your child up and just look at her. Hold her up about 18, you know, at arm's length, and just look at her. Smile, make faces, and make the observation, is she looking at you? And then you're going to simply move your arms slightly from right to left, right to left, so that the child is going to have to move her head and her eyes to keep making eye contact with you. And then you're going to move your child above and below. So your child's moving her eyes up and down to make eye contact. And then you could pull your baby in closer, give her a hug, and then move her further out just so that she gets that experience of trying to follow and keep her eyes on you. Okay, does that make sense? Yes, so it's more me doing the movement, not so much her. Yeah, you're going to be moving your arms as you're carrying her, but she's going to have to move her eyes and her head to be able to keep looking at you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Okay, yes. Uh, Next question? Well, I want to thank all of you for attending this evening. Uh, I hope that this information is very helpful to you. And we will soon have this up on the Braille Institute webpage at www.brailleinstitute.org. And it will also be up on AIRSLA at www.airsla.org. And again, I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Joe Yurka for recording this. And uh, we will see you the same time next month. And, Sue, what is our topic for next month? Do you recall what it is? I yeah, I've got it. <laughs> it's okay. It was, it was, that was great information tonight, Dr. Bill. I think it was really, uh, really helpful for us to keep all these things in mind when we're working with children and families. Um, yeah, next month on May 9th, it will be How to Develop Your Child's Ability to Process Visual Information. So, um, again, encouraging your child's use of vision, and all the things you've been kind of so so graciously been been teaching us. So it's great. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, again, thank you for inviting us on the show, Sue, and uh, we'll see everybody next month. Okay? All right. Goodbye, everybody.